and then to visualize the next piece, I kind of draw the next section of it, and then I pace around the room like Pollock used to pace around the room before, you know, make a make a dash and then big dynamic paintings that he did. Right. And then it's kind of uh, there's a kind of a there's a period of decision making via the drawing. You know what I'm saying? Via okay. the simple sketch. Sometimes with a brassy pen, pencil or a blunt pencil. So uh, by no means is it pretty, but it it um, it uh, forward forward thinkingly it, it it defies the next part of the object I'm building. If that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Yeah. Check check, David T. Miller, folks. Loading artist audio inside. Loading artist audio inside. Oh, it's Artcast, it's Artcast, it's Artcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen by your easel, maybe you can grab a chair. Or even take it with you like you ain't got no care. Loading artists. Audio inside. Loading artists. Audio inside. So sit back and relax and grab your headphones too. Adjust your volume, it's hotcast. Philip J. Mellon welcomes you. So sit back. Oh yeah, it's Artcast. Loading artists. Audio inside. Loading artists. Audio inside. Hey, and welcome to Otcast. Be sure to check out the artist's websites or otcast.com and check out the work and links. All right, let's get started. Today's guest is Kevin Callahan, presently based in Glasgow. Listen as he details his process, work, and his thoughts on art and being an artist. And just a heads up, there's a few swear words in this one, but I think we all can take it. Thanks for joining us. Okay, cool. Thanks. I just wanted to welcome you to Oddcast. Thank you. Cool. Now, I know you travel a, um, a lot as part of your studio practice, and I was wondering where you were cur- currently making work. So, well, I just moved. I was in London for... Almost six years to my master's in the Royal College of Art there, and London was quite good to me. Then I kind of had to get out of there because it was just too expensive to live in. But I, and also just I didn't want to live there all my life. So I was back in Ireland, did a residency in the National Sculpture Factory in Cork for almost a year, and then I always had this kind of burning desire to move to Glasgow. So this time last year, so January 2017, I got offered a residency in the Glasgow Sculpture Studios. And that lasted for three months. Coincidentally, broke my elbow at the time, so I didn't get as much work yeah. done as I want. But um, so I was there for three months, and then I kind of moved back and moved my studio back to Glasgow. 
So basically, I'm in Glasgow officially, you know, about nine months, and this is my new uh, place to reside. And I don't think I've ever been as productive about my work. So as far as traveling, my work, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of heavily focused on a show in Venice in the European Culture Center in May with an architect from um, Dublin called Peter Carl, who's got a company called A2 Architects. So we are collaborating on on the show in May in Venice during the Venice Biennale. So it's quite exciting. So I'll be okay. traveling there. But as far as residencies go, I think I'm kind of slowed up on that at the moment because I have a big solo show in Ireland in, in Dublin in November. Oh, okay. Um, so I, I can't really... And I'll be moving around for this year because I just have so much work to do. Yeah, that's the way that not all, that's the way that is at the moment because um yeah I have travelled a lot but not at the moment. Now I just wanted to dive into your work a little bit and some of the process, and I imagine for some of your work this is true. But I was just wondering if you use any sketches as part of your studio life and work. I spent a lot of time years and years. I've, I've just because I moved into my new studio in Glasgow in the Glasgow Sculpt Studios and I've I just pulled out you know when you pull out books and sketchbooks that you have that you forgot you had so oh, yeah. I, have a, I have a shelf in the studio that is just banked with just sketchbooks which is so refreshing in so many ways because the work i'm making now is kind of relevant to the work i was sketching 10 years ago when i was doing my bachelor's in cork city and in, in, in the crawford college of art so but it's funny now the way i'm working now is kind of really complex um it's almost like dwellings are heavy Kind of there's a there's a they're almost uh, geometric forms manifested in a, in a structure of like twenty thirty by thirty centimeter object like a base and then I'm just building upwardly so it's like spontaneity with with geometry so I need to make one to fit the next and the next and the next so it's kind of interesting and what I'm doing actually at the moment is I'm sketching each one as I go along. So as far as sketching heavy on the conceptual ideas of making work, you know, where you draw out things. I do a lot of computer now for the wall pieces that I'm making, but this is a new way of, of sketching for me. It's not like making a sketch look beautiful. It's more, it's my way of getting through the object. So I'll sketch one part of it. So they're like walled areas almost. And then I'll, I'll measure that and I'll sketch the next bit so actually kind of small documentation of drawings as a means to actually make the piece possible which i've never really done before so i find i find that quite interesting but as far as i know the question you're asking perhaps i'm taking it as a way is like do i sketch heavy to conceptualize ideas right and not quite, not quite that anymore as i used to because i i think everything's been banked up so heavy in the cognitive you know like a banking of of um, objects that need to be made maybe over a 10 or 12 or 15 year period. So I, I'm kind of finding a new way of drawing and it's the quickest way to, f it's just using paper to visualize something and then make it. So yeah, I kind of enjoy it. I, I wanted to talk to you about color a little bit or just see see how that fits into your work, like with the mainly the LA series and then the Back to Planet Earth. And although they're very different, I just wasn't sure like, like what's the relationship to just like specifically the LA series where they're, yeah. you know, tend to be pretty bright and a lot of contrast between the two. Uh, Cause they're basically two colors each piece. Right. Uh huh. Well, they're coming from a different, they're coming from the same school anyway, you know? So okay. 
their, I don't know, it's, it's a progression because the LA series is the next series they're making of that is a big for the solo show in, in Dublin in November. Is they're, I don't know, there's a, there's a paired back simplicity conceptualization of it, you know. There's because I kind of went to design school, it was a kind of a design school I went to initially. So everything was, you know, you'd draw, you'd exhaust all possibilities. You know, you'd draw so much yeah. that you'd end up with the simplest form again. So there's, and when you mentioned about Donald Judd comes to mind, and there's just reference points like, uh, like Liam Gillick, um, to name a few. I'm building up a bank of colours that refer to the overriding conceptual goals, which is this kind of, um, uh, it's like a science, science, like a like a high density science fiction or or utopian kind of dreamlike state. So the colours I the colours chosen are normally to suggest there's there's slight colour trends there. When I when I met LA, I had a friend of mine who came to she's a fashion designer in County Cork and she works for she works for one of the big companies um, who leads the name leads me now. So I just said, how can I get someone in to kind of just give me a kind of a small nurturing, not 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 on the trends, but uh, but just how colour is kind of relevant to the time we're in, you know? Okay. But then I've got a I've got a palette anyway that's interesting for me, but that's just been extended now and will be heavily extended over the next year with the, with this a lot of like laser cut wall pieces that will be you know very graphic, but they're on the cusps of being paintings you know yeah yeah uh, so the, the colors there with that are there's the act of being cheeky you know is partly and the next work i think the next series of work without well, i call them wall pieces i still can't call them paintings you know yeah there, there is a kind of a there's a simultaneous contrasting or ex- excessive contrasting that kind of toys with the, the 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 idea of color in a visual perspective so it's not allowing too much normality it's kind of plain but softening up as well and therefore as well for me that back to planet earth literally means you know back to planet earth when when i was doing my thesis when i was doing my masters it'd be, it it wants to exist here but exist somewhere else so there's definitely a kind of a uh, a mid-density science fiction agenda there where the co- the colors are are questioning the origins of where they come from you know that's overriding and i think they're kind of out of this world some of those colors though like the you know say that a greenish i i don't even lime green if you will for lack of a better green, is it the green the, the, the green and the blue is it that the soft baby blue color and then this green going through is that what you're talking about yeah yeah definitely yeah there's something there's there's something that i'm trying to catch when i haven't fully done that yet but it's very hard with color is a very hard thing to to kind of get on top of unless you're a color theorist or you're in fashion that it's it's but you know you it's very hard to decide on colors that you know um truly essence the work or whatever so and sometimes then you just do it. You know, you just go. I'm just going to go with them two colors anyway. Yeah. Partly yeah. they were because the it's the 
it's sometimes you're getting too invested into the decision making and then I think that that's also a confidence thing as well from my part that uh, is allowing yourself to to just go with what initially you think yeah, you and can't not, hang on to the idea for too long right exactly so there's there's definitely that but then again if you do that and you're not happy with it you know that's a weaker piece so it's a it's a kind of a a, conflict, a, a, a complex manifestation to make um, to make it right, but I think I've gone through the stage. I'm going through the stage so much that there's, I almost um, misunderstand that I what I'm a, what I'm after. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes I, I I underestimate the fact that it's ingrained in me already that I um, that my decisions aren't that I don't trust my own decisions on on things like that, and specifically with color, more so with color with anything else. I think. It's all about allowing yourself to actually do it. Yeah. Well, I find it. I find personally. So. Yeah, that's a great word for that. I think. That's a and there's this trust as well. I think there's a big trust. Kevin, I was wondering, uh, what is a prevalent subject matter or content in your work, if if you will, and what what is say the pursuit of it, the subject matter or concepts, and the reason why I asked that is because I I've watched a video or two and then uh, read read a couple of things about you and you brought up Utopia and uh, Wabi Sabi. So I was just curious if, like, how do those intersect if they do or? If, if they do, yeah. I mean, back when I was, back maybe 10 years ago, I was doing a lot of, like, mark making. So it was a bit, yeah. So Wabi Sabi comes into the, the abstract expressionist or the, the act of making a mark or the the kind of spontaneity and and I think it especially comes from Chinese and Japanese um, calligraphy. I think is partly where the the, the interest of that come from because I did a residency in China. I think this time last year, two thousand nine, um, in the ceramics mecca Jingdezhen. I was just really I was interested in this because uh, I was I actually trained as a potter before that. A professionally trained potter, so there was, yeah. I just found a way of working that was gestural, draw like like a fa- making little making kind of, I say making tools to get a certain pore, you know. Yeah. And I think that that ma- did manifest after that from Wabi Sabi, but I was watching a documentary on um, um, what's his name, um. Oh, he's a big documentary. His brother is it's his brother I'm talking about. Um a French name. Oh, sorry. English guy. Does loads of documentaries in, in the States. Uh through. Through anyway. His brother is um a journalist as well and he went on I just watched it a few nights ago or about a week ago. And um he goes on the search in Japan for Wabi Sabi. Oh yeah. So uh, Wabi Sabi, I mean the, the whole concept of Wabi Sabi is a bit like Utopia in from a Western perspective. Wabi Sabi is like nothing and everything at the same time. So he's walking around asking, doing documentary and asking Japanese. Japanese are complex people in the first place anyway. And uh, they're slightly unforthcoming in many ways, but he, um, you know, less quickly learns that you can't ask a Japanese person what Wabi Sabi is because they don't even know what to say to you because it just doesn't exist, you know. But on the aesthetic side of Wabi Sabi, I mean, there's there's the, the fourth principle of the Japanese tea ceremony that it's involved with, and of course, from a ceramic point of view, the real um, beauty and aesthetics, you know, 
but it's just something that's there, but it's not. And if you ask specifically a Japanese person, um, you know, they will turn away and walk away from you because they just cannot explain it because it's yeah, there's no translation, like right? Not at all. There's no translation. Yeah, I mean... But the aesthetical side of Wabi Sabi was always, for me, a mixed mash of, of knowing and not knowing. So it's like a lack of permanence. And that okay. goes into Buddhism and Taoism as well. This lack of permanence and this lack of um, ability to arrive at anything at any one place at any one time. So I think that's where the Wabi Sabi came from. But I think, I don't know whether there's a, uh, a, a, a connection between my interest and utopia. Was I think when I started reading and writing about utopia or utopia from the 1550s and Thomas Moore is a very different time now. So it goes into like sociality, social performance in the 21st century life, like science and technology and how that has completely changed the fundamentals of our, of our, of our 21st century from Ayn Rand to, you know, Silicon Valley to the, to the more, more actually more of a social commentary on the experience of today. So I'm in the tube in London, 2015. It's half nine in the morning, and there's a girl beside me listening to Rihanna on her headphones. And, uh, you know, I can hear it, and everyone can hear it, you know. Yeah. And she thinks she's the most special person that ever existed, you know. So there's this, it's almost like this hyper-reality, which I'm really interested in. And I think I have a past of investing, investing and taking, and like using uh, drugs as a kind of a, in a recreational way, but also having finding like taking LSD and and mushrooms and and ecstasy for perhaps that would have given me that in the small term. So in a way, I was plugged in to an understanding that I wanted to explore, and that's just one way of explaining that I kind of learned how to navigate my place. Not that I do very much drugs anymore, but it was a time that you learn for from that. I think this idea of utopia has I mean it's an old story and sometimes I get really insecure talking about it because it's now about more it's about utopian individual as opposed to the traditional aspects of utopia so it's more like utopia is in the self and moving forward with the self and we're, we're in now a time where it's very singular um, everyone is individually led and that's where Ayn Rand, again, comes in. She wasn't a very nice person in many ways, but she was the first to say, you know, it's not me who will die, it's the world around me that will die. And I think that we're in that time, you know, the golden age is that time where if you're lucky enough to hear and see and, and be able to think in that way, so maybe I'm talking the Western model here, but there is something very interesting about what's going on now. I think that's my main interest with, the, it's the utopia, it's the new utopia, I suppose. And that utopia is with us all in, in our own way. So you can be called a utopian. Like Liam Gillick in 2009 at the Venice Biennale um, had a wonderful uh, con, con, a wonderful show where we'd all travel together as a group and we'll meet up at Utopia Station, you know. And that's the essence of togetherness of utopia, right? That's 10 years ago, it's 2009. I think he did that show for England in the, in the Biennale. So there's this it's just a big it's just a big whirlpool of loneliness and togetherness with investing and emptiness as well in some ways. Okay. So I think that's I think that's really where 
I lie with that, but there's also just a whole like a self preservation with utopia, like you know, therefore me finding colours that you know communicate that, like you know, a grey and an orange or something like that. They're they're um like a duality thing. or am I thinking Yeah, there, there's a there's a balance with it, I think. And I mean it's obviously um individual in so many ways, but uh, I, I I have adapted that and investigated it. It's a, it's a long old story, you know. But there's definitely there's definitely relevance in it long term. And I think for me, the act of utopia is is the is the wonder of of, of the loneliness, you know. Um which I've kind of you know you go through phases in your life, you know, you might believe in this for a while, I believe in this for a while. Um but it's all like you know they use that that heavy investment into independent thinking via this writings I did on on the on you see so into singularity into transhumanism into whole so philosophy tells us in order for you to be relevant you have to adapt to what your time demands and I think it's no different now that art or philosophy you have to adapt to what your time demands. I think that's it's all it's it's all very relevant in that way. So it becomes about the person, you know. So, yeah. Following that, if you could, how, how do you feel about picking three to five words to describe like your work or a specific series? But dynamic is a, always a word I use because it kind of it allows room for change. Okay. Um. Uh. But the the next work I'm making is I can use the word cheeky, yeah, um, and it is because my personality is is finally for the first time I think coming out in the work you know, right? Um, it's taken a while. Um, five words that's tricky now. Um, um, invested and lively, invested and lively. That's four. I think that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to put you through that. <laughs> no, no. Cheeky, invested, and um, cheeky, invested, lively, and dynamic. Yeah. Cool. And heartfelt, in many ways. Nice. Next, Kevin talks about scale after I bring up the word artifact in relation to his work, namely the LA series. Listen in. There's now something I was always told, taught years ago, that. You don't need to. You know, things don't need to be big, you know. Right. So there's there's definitely a certain like the work I'm making now. Like these are these smaller. They're, they're 26 by 30, and I just don't feel the need to make big work, you know. I mean, if I'm doing a commission or something like that, it's a different story. But right. I find everyone finds their way of like. There's a guy in the studio beside me um, in the London in the Glasgow Scope Studios, a very talented ceramicist actually. Um, and he, he he makes a lot of big work, and he's a really good maker, and he makes big molds, plaster molds and stuff, and, and that's just his way of going because he's more it's more of a production for him. So I, I kind of I find it important that it doesn't need to be big, you know. And right. I, I like the size I'm working at now, you know. So you're right with the the uh, the what's the word you used? Um, Artifact. Uh huh. There's something about that. Well, specifically with the use of the like the, the means of a self-expression of something like clay, there is that artifactual uh, language with it anyway, you know, because it comes from the ground and it was stone and then yeah. you fire it, it becomes stone again. 
Um, and as and with working with with clay specifically, is it's a it's a difficult thing to get right, you know. So it's very hard to go big, specifically the way I'm working because I chop things up and on a glass machine and then sand them back and on these machines they're, they're specifically used for glass, but the, the work that you're referring to, I suppose. So I think you adapt to a, an artifactual kind of idea about things. And it's more, it's more of some, for me, things need to be really fin. Like I'm a fin, my dad's a carpenter. My brother's a amazing wood maker and carpenter and makes some amazing buildings from it. So there's definitely, there's that, there's yeah. a, there's something in the, my pattern that it uh, it's nice to have something made special and small and arts that's what art's great for that you can make something quite small that could maybe take you know two or three days but it's the it's the experience and the the language of making it as opposed to the massive impact you know if that makes any sense if i could read that donald judd quote uh, it might either it does or it does not apply yeah, say that again. I read it there. Say it again, please. After all, the work isn't the point. The piece is. Donald Judd. It's true. It's like Rasanjin, this um, potter, Sir Rasanjin, Japanese, probably one of the best um, potters of the 19th century in Japan. And uh, he had a. He was going to meet Picasso in, in Paris in his studio. This is only made in the sixties, fifties, maybe, and um, he came. He couldn't get the, the way they always box things, and they have a tea board or something inside, and then the box is very beautiful, unwrapped box, whatever. And he, he met Picasso in the studio, and he uh, he gave Picasso this box, and Picasso was as brassy as he is. Said, "Oh, thanks for the box. That's very beautiful." He says, "It's not the box. It's what's inside the box." You know. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. Because inside it was the object, and Rosanjan or um, Picasso was like, "Oh, that box is lovely." He's like, he said, because he was quite a brassy man. He said, yeah. "It's not the fucking, it's not the box. What's inside the fucking box?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So there's a lot of that. Yeah, no, there's there's definitely, but also you just when you work on your own, there's a capacity that you're comfortable with. You know, I need a lot of time to think. You know, I can't just churn out work. Yeah. So there's a lot of that as well. Um, and I think I have an assistant coming in to help me from May on. So maybe the production level will get higher, but there's definitely a, a lot of thinking through making, you know. Anyone that thinks it's easy to be an artist is not, you know, and you have to be loyal to yourself, and that's really difficult a lot of the time. You know, it's, lo- it's, um, it's hard to... It just it just needs time, you know, yeah. and I'm learning that more so now than I ever have. But gaining confidence through the fact that, you know, I have allowed and given myself the opportunity to to do this, you know, for, I'd say forever, you know. So I was wondering um, if you could share any artists that you are uh, looking at currently. There's a guy in London called Reese Conran um, who's making some really cool work. He, he was studying the RHA when I was studying the Royal College of Art. And um, he's with Gallery 17, and he, he does a lot of... He works with laser cutting as well. We were kind of... At the same time, we were kind of... I was starting to kind of... Because I spread, spread myself quite thin, where he was yeah. just doing... He comes from an animation background, but he's made some amazing work. 
you should check his workout. It's fucking super fresh. I've been looking at Bridget Riley again a lot for her color combinations. Another woman, minimalist artist from the 70s, Herm. Can't remember her first name. Really fresh, minimal minimal art. I mean, what probably Donald Judge would have been looking at. Yeah. Um, Peter Volkos, um, ceramicist, American American sculptor, a.k.a. ceramicist. Um, died in 90s. Making punchy, big, amazing work. Peter Volkos, what a fucking legend. Um <laughs> uh, Big, big work, big drinker, big smoker. Um, kind of off the back of the abstract expressionist movement, or on the other side of it, I should say, on this side of it. Um, big pieces like you know, he'd rip parts out and add them back on. Really strong work, amazing work. Um, the moment, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff coming out of Glasgow. Glasgow's super fresh scene. This, this, because the Glasgow School of Art, as you know, if you don't know. It's very, um, very strong on the fine art side. Just really, really good work. I'm really getting really interested in some. Um, there's a lot of guys in London that studied here as well, making a lot of really fresh uh, performance art. Um, Will Young, friend of mine, super fresh, like just making dresses for himself and, yeah. you know, just making like armor suits and just being out there, just performance wise, just going well here I am you know um there's another few as well just really just clever really uh really ballsy work you know um so just a lot of different things I mean I honestly don't really look at art amazingly that much anymore like obviously I look on the shows and stuff but there's not I don't I'm more I'm more interested in social engagement I think and more like life experiences um, in many ways, because I've kind of have a path now that I have to chisel away f- that is kind of understood in a way. It, it sounds maybe it's a mid career, like uh, uh, just like you have work to do. <laughs> is that what you mean? It's just work to do, and it's all like I've got so many things that need to be done that have been you know thought about for the last five or six years. Yeah. So I think until they get done, I think I'm not by no means am I not open-minded I'm deeply open-minded but these things need to be you know that it'll take time for them to be made however I'm really interested in in everything really but not heavy on on the act of shows you know the act of going to shows I mean I'll always go to shows but I think I'm learning more about myself and about how I exist in my own capacity than right. um heavily learning of I can you know you know look at so much art as well, you know. I don't know, it's hard for me to explain to you. I suppose what I'm trying to say is I'm kinda confident in my own getting confident in my own uh decision making and um not that art is a less the the act of looking at art has a less um premises in that. It's more the fact that I've, I've I've banked up a lot of things already that need to be done first. If that may, I don't yeah. know if that makes sense. I think sometimes if you look at art too much, you you lose. Uh, depending on what stage of your career you're at, you kind of end up to use a better word, copying. You know, so yeah. it's a, look at a lot of stuff all the time. You either don't make any art anymore, 
or you end up changing your ways to so you see if you see an artist going well and you might get a bit you know you go i wish i was that big or something like that it's things like that you need to eliminate and i think by looking at too much art sometimes you can uh, uh, acquire a kind of a, a kind of a mistrust with yourself yeah if that makes sense so you kind of end up looking too much and then not looking at what you're doing yourself yeah i mean you have to look inward probably just as much if not more is that what you mean I think that's exactly what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But, uh, you know, not at a, at a later stage, I suppose. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Or just trust in what you're doing. Right. Like, I'm in for the long haul here, so it's kind of, um, it's hard, like, to, because you're constantly giving yourself away all the time. Yeah. You know, to arrive at, arrive at a place that you, you want to be happy and, and, and make it. I just, this is the way I look at things. I mean, these, this isn't nothing's easy in this world anyway. Whatever you do, whether you make an art or working for an engineering company or you know working for the council, it's not easy. Like there's definitely I have more freedom in what I do, but then the, sometimes you can have too much freedom. So you know one one would struggle with themselves because they have so much freedom, yeah. and I I be the first person to say that I do, and it's becoming less and less. But it, it, there's def like there's a definite problem with allowing yourself to become you know and i think that's in my eyes as a true artist and i it may sound cocky from me but i think that's there's a there's a, there's a heavy question load because you're constantly reevaluating who you are you know and um i think that's 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 partly partly the interest but also partly the complexity of it you know do you have an artist quote on hand that you'd like to share? Oh, I do actually. Yeah. I have a quote. It might be an artist quote, but I have a quote. Okay. Uh, oh Christ! Give me a second now. <clears throat> the um, the emotion of hope goes out of itself, makes people broad as opposed to confining them, for they not know whoever they are inwardly or outwardly aimed. Uh, the emotion of hope goes out of itself to make one broader. That's that's my one. That's something you wrote? No, it's from Ernest Block, the utopian philosopher. Well, thanks for sharing that. No, no, I, I I missed the last part of it because it's it's. But I think I got my point right. Hmm. I have asked Kevin to share the info on his upcoming exhibitions. The show in the European Culture Center in Venice. From the 11th of May to the 24th of November is the show that uh, the main show at the moment. So that's running through during the Venice Biennale in uh, Venice, obviously. And it's a collaboration with Peter Carroll. I think I mentioned it at the start of the podcast, but it's a it's a bigger show than I thought it was because we 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 had a problem with finances, but now it's happening. Yeah. It's a pretty big show. I mean, it's a it's a, actually it's a design show, but um. It's in the Michael Palazzo building. I mean, beautiful marble floors, stunning building. It's like 35, well, designers, crossover uh, designers are in the art realm. Yeah. But um, we're doing a piece that is basically based around the flooding in Venice. Um, and it's kind of uh, been going on like in dialogue with Peter Carroll for, for about a year now. And it's just really exciting. And I'm just, we're just 
about to make the work for that. I, I have a bit of months work to make for it. It's three pieces and they're sitting on pillars. So the, 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 the most of Venice is kind of built on wooden pillars, you know, because it's on an island perhaps. Yeah. Or parts of it are on an island. So we're kind of, it's, it's just a kind of a little, it's more of an architectural, conceptual architectural project. But the fact that I'm making objects for the furnishings, as you call them, so it's just I'm in a flow of objects at the moment, so it's just really refreshing to get them out. Yeah. So yeah. that's in that's in the European Culture Centre in Venice from 11th of May to the 24th of November, and then my solo show is in the Regional Arts Centre in uh, Dublin the 9th, 11th of May, 11th of November to the 30th. So that's my solo show. That's my Irish solo show, which is. Quite exciting. So uh, I think that's enough for the year. <laughs> well, congratulations to you. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, busy. I mean, specific. Like, you know, when you want, I want. I just want to be busy all the time, and this is now the level of busyness that I want to yeah. continue. Right. So, well, the happier I am, the busier I am. It's just I don't know. You don't know why you need feel the need to do it, you know. But it. Um, it's just goals, I think, you know, it's just uh, achieving goals. Yeah. Many thanks to Kevin Callahan for making some time to sit with me on Otcast. You can check out more of his work at otcast.com or at his own website, kevincallahan.ie. This has been Otcast. I'm your host, Philip J. Mellon. Thanks for listening, and keep the dialogue going. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Let me ask you this. Define abstract art. Oh, come on. Okay, here's a better one. What does this painting mean? I'm getting nowhere with this, forget it. Hotcast Home is A H T C A S T dot com. Thanks again. Sounds like the party's over, but you can still stay connected. For audio, Otcast is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. Social, Otcast is on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. And let's not forget about Instagram. <laughs>